Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have a great show today. According to Dr. Jacqueline Noonan on Nature.com, when Dr. Robert Gross ligated a patent ductus in 1938, pediatric cardiology as a discipline was born. By 1961, pediatric cardiology became the first subspecialty board in pediatrics. The past 60 years has brought enormous progress. Cardiac ultrasound, color flow Doppler, and magnetic resonance imaging have made diagnostic cardiac catheterization almost unnecessary. Instead, interventional cardiac catheterization rapidly developed and is already able to replace surgery in the treatment of a number of cardiac defects. In the 1940s, Dr. Helen Tosik worked with Dr. Alfred Blaylock to develop an operation to save blue babies. The shunt created bears their names, the Blaylock-Tosik shunt. Dr. Helen Tosik is frequently referred to as the mother of pediatric cardiology. By the mid-1960s, open-heart surgery was being carried out in many heart centers throughout the world. However, there was very little known regarding the natural history of congenital heart disease, so there was controversy over the indications of timing of repair. It was not until the mid-1970s that the mortality rate for surgery in infants decreased sufficiently for the procedure to become common. In 1966, Dr. William Rashkind introduced a very important palliative procedure, balloon atrial septostomy. These doctors were instrumental in saving children who would otherwise have died due to their heart defects or from complications caused by their heart defects. According to a Toronto Star Health and Wellness article, a half century ago, only 20% of those born with a heart defect survived to adulthood. But with medical advances, today's survival rate is 95%. When children did survive the early surgeries in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, it was often considered miraculous. It is because of these amazing doctors and far too many others for me to mention in a half-hour show that we now have over 1 million adult survivors of congenital heart defects in the United States alone. Today's show is a miracle of growing up with a congenital heart defect and features Diane Peachy, an adult born with a congenital heart defect who has seen pediatric cardiology grow and change as she has grown and changed. Diane Peachy loves the adventure of life and learning and meeting new people. Her big Italian family and great friends win the best of her time. Professionally, she has worked as a teacher to children with special needs. Prior to that, she was a child life specialist dedicated to meeting the needs of children and families in healthcare settings. 
She received her Bachelor of Arts degree from Bridgewater State College and her Master's at Wheelock College. She is a board-certified behavior analyst and earned a Certificate of Advanced Study in Special Education Administration. She has lived and worked in Chicago, New York City, and Naples, Florida. In her private life, she is in constant pursuit of traveling and exploring the foods and customs of other cultures. Where she can, she sneaks in time for her love of reading, movies, cooking, and theater. Most importantly, she is a dedicated advocate for the Adult Congenital Heart Association, or ACHA. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Diane? Okay, I have a bit of a cold, so please bear with me. I have my tea handy. Hopefully you can hear me okay and I won't gravel too much. Well, Diane, I so enjoyed meeting you in Boston at the Body, Mind, and Spirit Conference. I was taken aback by how many changes you have seen occur in cardiology over your lifespan. So why don't you first tell us about when you were born and what your heart defects were? I was born in the best time. I was born in 1958 at the beginning of the science and tech revolution, often known as the space age. They were making huge advances in medicine and cardiology. These were the good madmen, and they were developing all kinds of wonderful things that have allowed us to have a fabulous quality of life. I was born in Boston, right across from Children's Hospital in Boston, actually, at a place called the Lion Inn. And as soon as I was born, they basically walked me across the street. They noticed there was something wrong. I have an LTGA. So it's a left transposition of the greater arteries, IVSD, which was closed, and I have some residual pulmonary stenosis. I suffered a complete heart block at age nine, and that resulted in my being one of the first children that they implanted a pacemaker in. Wow. You had a heart block at age nine? At age nine, yeah. Wow. That's just amazing that you said you were amongst the first children to receive a pacemaker? Like they had just started putting them in adults, and it was beginning to be a very accepted procedure and starting to advance, but they hadn't put any in children yet. And Dr. Gamble over at Children's Hospital was one of the leading people to look at this, and there was a very small group of about nine or ten kids, and I was one of the first that they decided to put a pacemaker in. After my heart block and I was hospitalized, they put it in on the exterior. There was this box on my arm for a couple of days just to see if it would work. And then they took that off, and then they talked to my parents about having one implanted. Oh, my gosh. That must have seemed so odd. You were nine years old. You were old enough to understand what was going on. And so to see that box on your arm and know that that's what was pacing your heart if you needed it, that must have seemed so strange and yet maybe so cool. <laughs> uh, yes, my life has been a little like that, strange and cool, all at the same time. That's a good, that's a good descriptor of my life, strange and cool. Uh, I've always been, my whole life sounds a little bit like science fiction at yeah. the different stages, and yet it's, of course, worked very well for me. <laughs> I embrace well, it all. Yes. You should. I mean, it's just so amazing that you were born at, it seems like, an optimal time for when pediatric cardiology was exploding, and it was just really getting started, and yet how scary. You're kind of one of the pioneers that helped everything get off the ground, so you didn't have the switch procedure. You didn't have the mustard procedure. They just corrected your VSD. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was when you were an infant. What about after no, that? No, that was when I was nine. They wouldn't do surgery on me as mm-hmm. an infant because, again, they had just sort of developed the heart-lung machine. Uh-huh. You needed to be fairly strong and big for that. They didn't mm-hmm. have the technology to do it on an infant, so they wanted me to grow a little. So they weren't able to do any surgery on me until I was nine years of age. Wow. Did you have a problem with being blue when you were little? And Were you allowed to go to school and be around other children, or did you have to stay home? I was allowed to go to school. They watched me closely. <laughs> so I didn't participate in recess or gym, I think, through fourth grade. And if I did participate in gym, it was very limited. I would get winded and turn blue very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, that's completely understandable. Yeah. So it was very hard in that respect in that I felt kind of different and special, yet I felt very different and left out because I couldn't run around with the other kids, especially on a cold day in New England. I would turn blue, and I hated recess. I couldn't wait for it to be over because I would be so cold. Did they make you go outside so you just had to stand around outside? Yeah, I did, but it wasn't like a torture thing. It wasn't like they weren't aware. I never asked to go in. I didn't think to when you're seven and eight, you just sort of stand there. And they knew that I wouldn't run around. I'm not exactly sure what the adults thought. I know every time I went to the nurse's office, everybody got nervous. So, (laughs) you know, the perceptions of an eight-year-old. And then when I was in fourth grade, they wanted me to rest. So after lunch every day, I had to go to the nurse's office and lie down. This is where, for the adult world, it was pretty serious. But for me, it just seemed comical because I would just lie there staring at the ceiling like, oh, these silly adults, all right, I have to lie here because, (laughs) you know, they all get nervous if I don't laugh. (laughs) So what ended up happening that caused them to realize that you needed the pacemaker and that they needed to do open-heart surgery on you? Well, there was this sort of fateful day that I had the heart block. I woke up, all I remember is having a stomach ache, and then I was out. Because in those days, you ran around the neighborhood, and nobody cared, and everybody looked out for everybody else. I remember just sort of waking up at the doctor's office. And what they tell me, and what my brother tells me, is that we were standing on the neighbor's steps, and I fainted. And luckily for us, the neighbor was a nurse. It was in the area before we had EMS, so they sort of figured out there was something wrong with my heart. And they put me in the station wagon and took me to the local doctor. And he knew that I had to go to Children's. He knew that I was involved with Children's. And my dad came and picked me up and drove me in. Now, yeah. today, I probably would have been airlifted from <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, that is a miracle, Diane. Oh, my gosh, would you survive that kind of transport? Oh, my gosh, and you were in heart block. So I guess you finally arrived at Children's. And, right. and that's, you know, that's when they put the external pacemaker on and played with that because at that point my heart rate had dropped. Prior to that, I think I was getting medication. It was probably digoxin that I put under my tongue and that went up my heart rate because I had a very mm-hmm. slow heart rate. My heart rate would go down, I think, to 40 or 50. Oh, wow. And not something good for a little kid running mm-hmm. around. Not for, uh, not for most anybody. <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting when you talk about how prior to the 70s, so many of us didn't make it. 
And that's why we have these terribly slow heart rates. We would get into heart failure, and there wasn't a lot that they knew what to do. Right. But like I said, I was at the dawn of the pacemaker, and they stuck that on me, and it's been fairly smooth. Well, I shouldn't say smooth. It would be good sailing. <laughs> Right. Being on your neighbor's porch and then having to be transported, that may not can be considered smooth sailing, but you made it, and right. that is a miracle, yeah. and that's what this show is all about. We need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Diane about some other miracles that she has witnessed or experienced growing up with a congenital heart defect. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is the miracle of growing up with a congenital heart defect, and our show features Diane Pucci, an adult born with a congenital heart defect who has seen pediatric cardiology grow and change as she has grown and changed. And we just finished talking with Diane about what her heart defects were and when she was born and some of the changes she has already seen, such as not having to wear a pacemaker on her arm, but actually having one in her body. And so now we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other miracles that Diane has witnessed or experienced. This show is all about miracles and just seeing that you survived that one transport when you had passed out by being in heart block, that was probably not even the first, but definitely one of the major miracles that has occurred in your life. So can you tell yeah. me about some of the others? Well, every time I've been hospitalized, I consider it basically a miracle because, as you've been saying, the changes have been phenomenal. I remember certainly being hospitalized at that young age, and at that time, they gave me about a 50-50 chance, and they put me on the heart lung. The ICU, even then, was a very different place. If you think about movies from the early 1960s, what all the equipment looked like, the glass IV bottles. I was in an oxygen tent. If you ran a fever, they would put you on an ice pad. And they did not have IV antibiotics. I got shots. So for a little bit, to keep getting shots, two shots every four hours, and some of it was thick penicillin, there was a lot to endure. And yet, I think of the advances through the years, and then I think about each progressive hospitalization and the first time I got a pacemaker I was put in the ICU and stayed a week. Now I'm lucky if they keep me overnight. They're like, oh yeah, I will just, you know, switch them and I will get you out of here in no time. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah. The developments we take for granted so much. Talk about medicals. Antibiotics. I am forever grateful for how much good those things do and how they kept me alive. Right. <laughs> having, right. having had a, two courses of endocarditis in my life, the first one when I was four and the next one when I was, I think, in my 40s. So, again, the first go-round was very traumatic and a lot of shots, and the second one I had antibiotic therapy in my house, and I attached yeah. it and I attached it myself and was able to go to work and attend my parents' anniversary party. Oh, my you know, gosh. So, yeah, talk about a difference. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
But still, at age four, you were so tiny, too. I'm sure they were really, really concerned about you having the endocarditis. For those of our listeners who don't know, endocarditis is an inflammation around the lining of the heart, and it can be fatal if it's not treated. So this is not something to sneeze at. <laughs> this is something no. to be rather afraid of, and it's not uncommon for our children who develop endocarditis to have to be put in the hospital. So it's a very, very serious condition, and it's amazing to me that in your 40s you were able to give yourself the antibiotics at home. That just amazes yeah. me. You didn't even have to be hospitalized for that. Wow. So how many hospitalizations have you had, Diane? Well, I've had two major ones. I had the two open heart surgeries. The first in 1966, I think it was, and the second one in 1976 where they went in and they did more. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. They completed the repair, though. And so I had those two. And the original pacemakers only lasted about a year, and one of them only lasted about six months. In the early stages of having a pacemaker, I was hospitalized repeatedly for pacemaker changes. And like I said, in the beginning, those were a much bigger deal. And much bigger size-wise. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they started out being about five inches or four by four, and now they're these tiny little things that are slightly bigger than a silver dollar. Right. Um, yeah. So... So now yeah, did you it, to have open heart surgery every time they did the pacemaker or? No, no. They, good. Okay, good. No, no, but the first time was pretty major because they had to get the wires in. And again, their advances mm-hmm. in that have been amazing. I presently have three sets of wires in me because at one point they needed to change the wires. And that was another problem they had is that the pacemakers were left, but the wires would corrode and snap. And I did have an episode of that where my wires needed to be replaced. So how did they determine when those wires needed to be replaced? It's not like it's something you see. How did they know? I think (laughs) I kind of let them know. I passed out, so they kind of knew. <laughs> my heart wasn't kind of beating the way it's supposed to. And then once oh they got the KC, they figured it out pretty quickly that they have all these machines, and even in the early stages, they had ways of knowing what the pacemaker was doing. And now, again, something that went from a mad scientist lab to now looks like something out of your most advanced science fiction movie. At this point, I just can put a little, it looks like a cell phone kind of thing over my pacemaker, and it can transmit all my information to my doctor. No, you talked about that at the conference, and I was just amazed that you don't even have to go into your doctor's office anymore, that you have the ability to transmit that information from miles and miles away, which to me is another miracle of modern science. It really is amazing. So what has been the biggest challenge that you have faced in growing up with a congenital heart defect, Diane? Over the years, I think the biggest challenge was getting my sense of self and my identity as a kid. That seemed to be in the forefront because, again, I couldn't do research, so everybody sort of knew what was going on, and it seemed bigger. Part of my identity, I was the kid with the heart condition. And then through the years, figuring out how that fits in my life and never wanting it to play a major role, I have to say that's an incredible thing about people with congenital heart defects. As they grow, for some reason, it doesn't seem to be as big a deal to us because we're born with it. It's just mm-hmm. part of who we are. So 
but it does limit you. It stops me periodically in my tracks when I least expect it to. <laughs> and then knowing that and having to incorporate that into my larger life scheme, uh-huh. which at some point, that's even part of normal development for most people is they have to incorporate their past and their, you know, whatever things they may have. Everybody seems to have something. There are very few people who lose charmed lives. I haven't met one. Uh, <laughs> and have nothing. So that's been one of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Every time something happens, it pulls me out of my life, like where my wires went. Mm. You have to stop. You can't say, oh, how come the next week you can get that change? <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's not going to work yes. for you. <laughs> oh, no. no. It's not going to work for us, and it's really not going to work for you. So... <laughs> Yeah, so things yeah. like that, knowing that at any time, sometimes you can just be zipped out of your life and mm-hmm. have to deal with some major health issue. Mm-hmm. But I think most people, as they get older, that becomes much more the reality. Yeah, I, but so, I think it does for anybody. We take our good health for granted most of the time. But as we get older, especially as you enter into new decades, you turn 30, you turn 40, you turn 50, all of a sudden things exactly. that you used to take for granted before, now you can't because places in your body hurt that you didn't even know you had. <laughs> Yeah. So I could totally relate to that. So Diane, yeah. what role do you think your heart defect played in relation to all of your passions, your love of travel and of food and books? And what role did your heart defect play in that, do you think? Well, I think like anything major like that, it shapes you. And one of the ways that it has really blessed me is that I got it early on in life how fragile we are, how strong we are, and that anything can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. So I think certainly I didn't put off traveling. So many people put off. Oh, you know, when I retire, we'll travel then. I said, like, no, I better do this while my body's holding together. There's no guarantee it's going to hold up. And then once you work travel, you get hooked on travel. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, the same thing with food. Well, that partly, I think, is genetic from that Italian background thing, too. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> that all plays into it, too. But the same sort of thing is that I was hospitalized once, and you have to be NPO, you can't eat something, right? And feeling hungry and wanting food and hospital food. And then, well, you doubt everything tastes so good. <laughs> So, yeah. I, hospital food so, is not normally what you would want, but when you can't yeah. have anything, even hospital food tastes good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I developed a really love for flavors and foods. And mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure where my love of culture comes from, but probably from travel and seeing people everywhere. Mm-hmm. But those things, I think, certainly knowing that Again, that anything can happen at any time has shaped so much of how I see the world, how I look at it. On my worst days, when I'm on my pity pot, like everybody else, complaining about some stupid thing, at some point I quickly come around to how lucky I am and how short my time might be. I'm surprised because certainly when I was born, they didn't know that we would make it. I didn't know I would make it into my 50s. They thought, no, you know, these guys get into their 40s. They're doing great. And I'm right. now well into my 50s. I'm planning on, you know, getting through my 60s and 70s in good shape. I love that. I love that. And Alex, 
when he had his last open heart surgery, he was 17, and after he survived that, and he was in the hospital for 26 days, which to a 17-year-old feels like forever, and to yeah. his mother, it felt like forever. <laughs> I, I was praying so hard for him to get out of there tomorrow, and it seemed like tomorrow was never going to come. But it's funny because that's his new baseline. Whenever something seems difficult or something seems unpleasant, he pauses and he'll say, you know, at least it's not open heart surgery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. a whole new perspective. <laughs> Exactly, and many times when I face difficult things, I say, this is really nothing. You've been through <laughs> <laughs> so pretty stormy seas here. Listen, we need to take another quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Diane about what advice she has to share with adults and parents alike. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is the miracle of growing up with a CHD, and it features Diane Pucci, an adult born with a congenital heart defect who has seen pediatric cardiology grow and change as she has grown and changed. And we just finished talking with her about her love of food and why she thinks she loves food and travels so much and how she has seen technology grow and change. It's really been a fascinating show talking with you today, Diane. I've just absolutely loved it. But now I'd like to end the show by asking what advice you would have for a couple who is just finding out that their unborn child will be born with a congenital heart defect. So what do you think these parents need to know, Diane? Well, first of all, they're born in even better times, and the advances are so great. And that having a heart defect now is, in some ways, no big deal. Not to minimize it, it's terrifying for a parent, but that they should know that the medical advances are there. Mm-hmm. They, uh, their child will be fine and grow up, and they have no reason not to believe that their child will have a full, rich life ahead of them and be able to do anything they want. I love that because I can't believe it, Diane, but there are still parents who are encouraged to abort their children who have serious congenital heart defects. And the parents who have children with Down syndrome who often have heart defects, they're still encouraged to abort. And it just breaks my heart because these kids do have a chance to live a full and rich life. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, cardiac advances for everyone have been one of the biggest booms and today that they consider minor surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for some of them it is because they can do it in utero. They don't even have to do it exactly. over the heart, which to me is just, now let's talk about a miracle, being able to have your heart fixed with a catheter, <laughs> you know, with the surgeon through a catheter. That just to me is miraculous. So, well, it's not uncommon now that you long-term survivors are getting older for new problems to crop up. We were just talking about even for people like me who don't have a heart defect as I get older, new problems crop up. So 
It's a little bit different, though, when you were born with a congenital heart defect because you have more considerations. You may have a pacemaker. You may have medications that you take regularly. So what advice would you give a long-term survivor to make sure that they continue to have a good quality of life? So I'm hooked up with a good team of doctors. I have said that all along, my team of children that are trained in adult congenital heart. I believe now there's actually going to be a certifying process. I think I read that for yeah. doctors. So get hooked up with a good team because you do need lifelong care. It's no more of a pain than going to your regular doctor. Get hooked up with a great team. There's no reason not to have a fulfilling good life with minor interruptions. At mm-hmm. this point, they're minor. <laughs> Right. Well, everything taken into consideration. Exactly. Well, I like that, especially when you said that it's lifelong care. This is not something that anybody has ever totally fixed. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And doctors who really understand the differences in your heart, what the congenital heart and right, and how to treat those. Mm -hmm. It is a specialty, and there are teams, and they're growing. And we're going to train as many doctors as we can and get them out there. Absolutely. I love that. Because... Right, because we are seeing so many more of you survive. 95% when I read that article on the Internet, and they said 95% are now surviving, I thought, yay, hooray, this yay, is amazing yay. that it's that high a percentage. And so the congenital heart defect population really is getting older, and so many more are surviving that if we don't train specialists, there's really going to be a problem. But I love the fact that pediatric cardiology seems to always be on the cusp of training new people and recognizing that need for ongoing training of their doctors so that they are prepared for what's going to happen next because we never know what is going to happen next. Diane, you have lived your adult life in service to others, either as a teacher or a child life specialist, and I'm wondering what role did growing up with congenital heart defect play in your choice of a profession? My first years working, I was a child life specialist, and that is a direct connection. When I was in the hospital as a young child, you could only have visitation. Parents didn't have rooming in, and parents could only visit for a couple of hours in the afternoon or evening. And there was a playroom, and that was a pretty important place. That was the only place that you felt kind of normal and safe. So when I got older, I wanted to be one of those people that worked in the playroom, and it is a specific profession that's trained and there are colleges like Wheelock and Utica that have degrees in child life. I spent a lot of time as a child life specialist and one of the things I'm most proud of is during my first years as a child life specialist working with the Association for the Care of Children's House, which is no longer because it's not as much needed. One of the things we did is we pushed for there to be room and room, for there to be 24 hours. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and we worked very hard for that and pushed it at all the hospitals and talk about advances and miracles. Doctors and the medical profession understand the needs and developmental needs of children through the years. So that is a very, very direct connection. And in terms of teaching, I'm not exactly sure. I just sort of gravitated into that and always had a fascination with how people become the people they are. And a way of being a special needs kid, I get them. I understand them. Right. Right. And I wonder what it's like to be that kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've experienced Uh, it, so it makes it more salient to you, don't you think? Exactly. Um, It has been a delight talking to you, Diane. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. Uh, Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. 
Thank you for coming on the show, Diane. It's been a lot Well, thank you for having me. And that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Diana. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. And follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.